I'm in Ephesians chapter 5 today, marching through the book of Ephesians. What a marvelous book. And today, caring for spouses, spousal care, how to care for your husband, how to care for your wife. God cares for you. Christ cares for you. And how we care for those in our marriage. And by the way, this caring for one another applies in the larger relationships that every Christian has. So, this is standard fare for we who know Jesus and seek to follow the shepherd of the sheep. And it may not make sense to those who are outside of Christ, but for we who are in Christ, this teaching from Ephesians chapter 5 makes perfect sense. It sounds just like Jesus. Now, Jesus was a single man. Paul also was a single man. He wrote this. And he does not obviously draw from his personal experience when he begins to talk about caring for your spouse. Instead, he draws from the picture of Christ and the church. And I want you to note that as we start looking at the text. The apostle's going to go to that picture of Christ in the church to help you understand how to relate to the most important people in your life. Okay? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I'm putting that verse in the section on wives and husbands because it shares a verb with verse 22 and therefore ought to be connected to it. Submit to one another out of reference for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the Lord is the head of the wife as Christ, or the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife 
must respect her husband. Some people want to understand marriage from below, from the earth, from all that we share with the rest of the created order. They want to understand sexuality, being male and female, and monogamy from below. The Scripture has always taught that we ought to understand our sexuality and marriage from above. In fact, when the Scripture says God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, the only commentary on the image of God in that passage is this next phrase, which says, male and female created he them. And I want to suggest to you first, as just a fundamental understanding that you understand your sexuality from the image of God rather than from nature and the natural order. Understand your sexuality as part of how God made you in His likeness. Not that he is the androgynous being, both male and female, but that he has communication and intimacy and relationship in his own being, that God is complex as Father, Son, and Spirit. And that when he made you, he made you like himself, in that you too are complex and you have abilities to relate and to communicate, and to be intimate with others, particularly your spouse. You are made male and female, and that reflects the nature of God in you. If you'll understand your sexuality from above, from being made in His image, it will help you with your sexual behavior to line it up with who God is and His will for your life. If we keep understanding our sexuality from below, we're going to lose all the rules, all the respect, all the honor, all the love, all the joy of being male and female. So understand it from above. Understand marriage, too, from above. Now, the fundamental rule in verse 21 is that we submit to one another. Why? Why do we submit to one another? Out of reverence for Christ. That's what the Scripture says. And so the first thing I would say to you, connecting verse 21 to the rest of the chapter, is this. Reverence Christ... In your marriage. Now, you ought to be doing that in everything. You say you're a follower of Jesus, and you call him the Lord Jesus. Well, whose Lord is he? He's your Lord. What does that mean? That means you have reverence and respect for him. 
that you honor Him. And submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ works in the family and it works in the church. In fact, the scriptural rule is don't always be taking care of your own interests. Focus on the interests of others and you'll be more like your Lord. And when you do, you'll be showing respect and honor to Christ. How is that? Because he is your servant. He didn't come to be served, but to serve. He has done for you what you cannot do for yourself. You had to set aside your pride and let Jesus save you. Bring you eternal salvation. You couldn't do it yourself. Didn't have it in you. It was impossible for you to do on your own. So you set aside your pride. You acknowledge you're a sinner. You invite Christ to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. To give you a new heart, like Jeremiah said. To forgive your sin and to make you a child of God by faith. Jesus serves you in your salvation. He does for you what you cannot do for yourself. He also serves you in the process of growing you up, what we call sanctification. In the process of being made holy, Jesus serves you. And when you falter on your spiritual journey and in your Christian walk, you do so because of pride. Because you will not let Jesus serve you in a way you know he wants to. He wants to enable you to have victory over sin, but you won't let him. Because you love the sin too much. And in every step of your Christian life, Jesus is serving you. You reverence Christ when you follow his example of service. Craig DeFaro over at St. Bernard Parish startled the whole area during the Easter season when he took a bowl to the parish offices and started washing people's feet. Did you read about that? He didn't want any publicity. In fact, he was embarrassed about the publicity, he said. He just wanted to express the humility that he felt and, according to his own words, the heart that he had for those folks who worked there. Well, I'll tell you this, Jesus washed the feet of the disciples. And when he got done, he asked the question, do you know what I have done for you? And I think they just sort of sat there with their teeth in the mouth, you know. What have you done for us? And he said, I have set you an example that I want you to follow. I've washed your feet. Now you wash one another's feet. Maybe we ought to add that to the marriage covenant. Do you promise to love, honor, and wash her feet in sickness and in health? Do you promise to wash his feet in sickness and in health? Will you do that for your wife? 
Say, what does that mean? Whatever she needs. The humblest, most menial tasks. Whatever she needs. That's what your heart longs to do. Nothing pleases you more than to get home and care for and love and serve your spouse. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Reverence Christ in your marriage by being a servant, by washing one another's feet, by suffering with and for each other. You know, when you take that vow, the old vow said, in sickness and in health, in poverty and in wealth, whether he ends up being the finest businessman on the planet or whether you're bankrupt, whether she ends up being the picture of health till she's 85, or she's got diabetes or muscular dystrophy, or she gets paralyzed, or whatever happens to her in sickness and in health, in poverty and wealth, will you, until death, do your part? Yes, I do. That may mean, and probably will mean, that you and your spouse will suffer together. That you will have some suffering in your life that wouldn't have been there without that marriage. But you entered into a covenant. And you're reverencing Christ in this covenant. And so you are serving, you are washing feet, and yes, you are suffering. Sometimes pain comes into your life because of this relationship Sometimes it hurts. Now, all y'all know I've been married a long time. And I love being married. I do. I just love it. And I love it more today than when I was a young man and thought I knew it all and loved her more than anybody ever could love anyone. I love it better now. It's better now. And there are things about being married in these long years that just bless me and her every day. And I grab her sometimes after living in 27 houses over these married years, and I say to her, I'm home. And when I'm holding Janet Rose Hamilton Crosby, I'm home. And it doesn't matter what address it is, because she's home to me. And being with her is home. That's my place. And it's beautiful. And sometimes it lays me out under an old farmhouse for four hours in the mud trying to fix a trap on a bathtub. And I wouldn't do this. But for her. Submitting to one another in reverence for Christ is reverencing Christ in your marriage by receiving the joy, the blessing, 
the pain, the trouble, whatever comes. Jesus suffered for you. And you're going to suffer for the one you love. That's just part of it. Now, when everything's fine, marriage just rolls along, we're just going along grand, doesn't seem like such a hard assignment. But when the trouble comes, that's when we really test the vows. That's when you test the reverence for Christ in your marriage. Now, verse 21 is fundamental because husbands and wives reverence Christ in the relationship of marriage. Fundamentally, as a follower of Jesus, you are doing this for Him. Okay? That's how you understand the next verse, which shares a verb with verse 21. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And the passage ends with, see that the wife respect her husband, reverence her husband. Wives, respect your husbands. Now, I think that this wording indicates what the husband needs and the wife needs to understand and receive love in the marriage because men and women are different. The word submit comes out of military language, most often used in the Greek world in regard to the military, to be under authority but frequently used, not in a military sense, but in a voluntary sense, voluntarily submitting, voluntarily carrying a burden, voluntarily filling a role. So when the Bible calls for wives to submit and to respect their husbands, the Bible is calling for a voluntary action on the part of the wife that will communicate to the husband her absolute love for him. And in doing so, wives, you are showing reverence for Christ. That word respect is an important word. It ends the passage. See that the wife respect her husband. It has to do with fear. And it is a word that is often used in relationship to God. And there ought to be in the heart of the wife a love that expresses itself in this reverence and honor. If your husband doesn't feel that you respect him, he doesn't feel that you love him. That respect is fundamental to him as a man. It's part of the love language that a man has. 
Now, when it comes down to husbands, it says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, submit, respect to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. There may be a temptation to think, well, love's an easier word there, you know? Oh, I love her. It's not the word eros. It's not erotic love. It's not romantic love. That's not the word love there. <laughs> That's that big Bible word for love. That's the word agape. Agape your wife. You never got a bigger assignment from God than you get right here, husbands. Husbands, agape your wives. What are you talking about? Well, I'm talking about how Christ agaped his church. Well, what did he do for his church? He laid his life down for his church. That's what he did. If you think submission is a low role, you ought to try agape. Agape is prone. It's you pouring out your life. It's you laying down your life. I'll make a prediction. Any husband who will agape his wife, like the scripture says here, will have no problem with respect. Husbands, I think we miss the point. See, submission seems to be so mechanical. We can work on it like we do with generals and lieutenants. And so, most often, wives work on husbands doing what they ought to do, and husbands working on wives what the Bible says they ought to do. And we're focusing on telling each other what the Bible says our role is in this marriage. And that, my friends, is counterproductive. All right? That's not going to get you where you want to be in this lifelong relationship God has given you to bless you and bless everybody around you. What's going to get you where you want to be is you, in reverence for Christ, doing what the Scripture says you ought to do as a wife or a husband. And when you do what you ought to do as the husband, God will send his powerful blessing to your life and your home. Don't we believe that agape is the most powerful force on earth? Don't you think? Do you really believe it? I think sometimes when we gather as the church, we only pretend like we believe it. What we really believe is that coercion is more powerful than persuasion. That naked power is more powerful than love. Jesus loved his church because it was the most powerful thing he could do in the world. And you, for you to agape your wife, is the most powerful thing you can do in that marriage. Will you lay down your life for her as Christ laid down his life for the church? Will you pour yourself out for her 
as he poured himself out for his church. This lifelong relationship of love is powerful and changing. And agape is the glue of the marriage because it has the insight and ability in every era of your life to provide what the relationship needs. Whether it is husband, wife, parent, child, whatever relationship it might be, friend to friend, agape is this amazing, wonderful force in any relationship that sustains and carries it along. When God brought Eve to Adam, he brought her to him as the suitable partner. There was not a suitable partner found for Adam in all the world. And so God took a rib and fashioned from that rib a woman and brought her to the man. And this is the suitable partner. Do you know that being a suitable partner changes over the years? What your spouse needed when you were 25 may not be the same thing as the needs are at 55. And what you promise, not knowing the future, is that from this day forward till death do us part, I'm going to love this man or woman and be the suitable partner for them. Whatever that means in each era of life. And the only way that you can do that, that is make that promise at the altar and single people... Some of you are thinking about marriage, maybe. And you're wondering if you can make that kind of promise and it scares you. You're frightened about it. You've seen your parents' marriages fail. Some of your best friends have failed. Some of the people who got married that are your peers have already seen their marriages disintegrate. And you're wondering, how does a person stand in front of God at an altar and make a promise for a lifetime when you don't know the future? And it frightens you. And I'll tell you how you do it. You make your promise before God. And God is the witness of the promise, but He's more than that. He's the enabler of the promise. If you will reverence Christ in your marriage, God will be the enabler of that relationship. He will enable you to keep the promise that you made no matter what comes. Whatever the future brings, the promise is enabled by the Father in heaven. This covenant love which is called for in the marriage is the kind of love God loves you with. Aren't you glad God didn't give up on you? hasn't given up on you. He stayed with you. Sometimes you think to yourself, why in the world would God love me? 
Why would he ever want me in his family? The kind of person I am, the things I think, the things I do, there's no way God would love me. I mean, just how does he do it? You know yourself well enough to know the amazing patience, forbearance, and love God has for you. His love's always deeper than your failure. His grace is always greater than your sin. You stay in the covenant not because you're so good, so powerful, so morally excellent. You stay in the covenant because God has a grip on you and he will not let you go. That's how covenants stay together. That's how one keeps a covenant. An old deacon in my church when I was a boy pastor told me one day, he said, you know, when we said I do, he said, we meant it if it took all to hide. And sometimes holding on to a rope, it starts slipping through and it starts taking your hide off. And he said, you just mean it if it takes all to hide. God's plan was for a man and a woman to enter into a covenant of love for a lifetime. And that covenant of love would be the one in which children were nurtured. That's the idea behind it all. It is the ideal of the Bible. Now, when that ideal fails, does God have no plan? No. God blesses single-parent homes. Moms and dads who raise their family on their own. God's not at wit's end or at a loss or at a dead end. When a covenant fails, and God's grace is active in your life, whatever the status, whatever the situation. But God's ideal has been from the beginning that a man and a woman would come together and form a covenant of love and nurture children in that covenant and that they would grow up witnessing a loving relationship, an agape relationship between mom and dad. They would see that. And those of you who witness that have received that from the Lord as a great gift and blessing. Thank you, God, that I was able to witness a mother and father, a husband and wife who loved one another, who cared for each other through thick and thin, poverty and wealth, sickness and health. Thank you, God, that I was able to witness that. That's powerful in anybody's life. The verse that Paul quotes here is a verse that is quoted by Jesus in his instruction about marriage. It is an ancient verse, but it is very important. For this reason, Genesis chapter 2, verse 20, a man will leave his father and mother and cleave, the old Bible said, to his wife. He will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Now, that is quoted by the Apostle Paul here. It is quoted by Jesus elsewhere. It dates all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, the leaving and cleaving. An important dimension 
of marriage is when the, the, the wedding, when the mothers come up and they light either side of the unity candle as a symbol that this child has come to the world through them. They gave them birth. And then when the ceremony is over, often the bride and groom will go to the mothers and give them a flower and a kiss. You know what that kiss is? Symbolically, it's a goodbye kiss. There's a part of my life I'm saying goodbye to so that I can embrace something new that God is doing in me. And this new home that is being established needs all the support and nurture of every family member so that this couple can be strong and independent together and create on their own a home that honors God and gives reverence to Christ. And we want to birth that in our children. You got to leave. That's not easy. When vacation comes around, do you go to mom's or do you go to the in-laws? When Christmas and Thanksgiving come around, you know, where are you going? All these decisions about who we're going to visit this time and what kind of rotation we're going to have and how are we going to relate to mom and dad and to the in-law, all those decisions are vitally important to the health of the marriage and it's about leaving and cleaving and being united to your wife. Now, there certainly is procreation in being united together and becoming one flesh, okay? I am an example of the love of Russell and Donna who gave birth to me, and I carry their genetic code. So this is a one flesh example. Okay? But that's not all that one flesh is. Someone once said to me, and I believe it to be true, that sex is given to the marriage not just for procreation, but also for reconciliation. And I want you to plant that somewhere in your heart and your mind. The unity that happens in the marriage is in part a product of sexual love. And we need to care for one another in that way as spouses. It is a beautiful part of the relationship. And sometimes we want everything to be perfect. But when we express our love for one another, even when there are tensions and difficulties, that expression itself brings unity in the marriage. And it's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful gift God has given. The two become one flesh. If you'll understand your sexuality from above, then you can see what a wonderful gift God has given you in your marriage. The Scripture says that husbands ought to love their wives like Christ loves the church and gave himself for it. The scripture says that wives ought to submit to 
and respect their husbands. That those words indicate the agape in the wife's relationship to the husband. And the scripture says that it is a profound mystery, this thing that God does in the marriage. But it follows the pattern of Christ's love for his church. Now, I want to tell you something. God wants to enter into a covenant with you that is intimate and wonderful and lifelong and sickness, health, poverty, wealth, whatever comes. God wants a covenant with you. And Jesus laid his life down so that you could come into this covenant. It is a covenant of agape. It is God's family being built upon this earth as men and women like yourselves who realize they cannot be what God's called them to be on their own, that they have tried it and failed. And God is calling them then to grace, to receiving his gift by faith and entering into the family of God and into the covenant. Your Bible's divided into Old Covenant and New Covenant. God has a covenant for you that will bless your life every day. It is why you were born. It is why you're on the planet. So you can be in covenant with God through His Son, Jesus. Say, how does that happen? It happens when you lay down your pride and say, I cannot do it on my own. I want Christ to serve me. I believe he died on the cross for my sin, and I receive by faith his presence into my life. This would be a great day to establish that covenant and so change all other covenants. Let's bow together. And if you have never trusted Christ as Savior and entered into the new covenant by faith, would you just pray right now, Lord, I need you in my life. I know I'm a sinner. Forgive me. Come to my life. I give myself to you. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us acknowledge you as Savior and Lord, that we might live in reverence for Christ right in this moment, that we might reverence and respect you. And Lord, as the Holy Spirit tugs on our hearts, and as you speak to us, that we might give you honor and all that is due you and give you true worship by responding and saying yes to your call on our life. We commit our ways unto you then and pray that you will enable us to follow you in Jesus' name. Amen.